0: Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from guilt. Purify me from sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O God, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one, You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father God, we... Thank you for David's most beautiful and honest prayer. We thank you that we can be broken. And we know that in our brokenness, you're able to heal us. We thank you for Hosea, for his obedience. We thank you for the message that he brought the people of Israel and the message that you bring to us today. That it's not just Israel that forgot God. It's not just Israel that stopped loving God that it's not just Israel that was unfaithful to God. For we, your people, Lord God, confess this morning that we often live many times and moments of our days and how we've even conducted ourselves as a church body. How we've looked to our own future as a church, forgetting you. And how we in our our actions as a church body have reflected an unloving group. We confess this morning, Lord God, as a church body that we have been unfaithful to your call for obedience in our lives. And we confess this, Lord God, with broken and contrite hearts. And we can do so with great hope because of Hosea 14. May we hear your message to us this morning. May with tears in our eyes and broken hearts rejoice in the great Redeemer and the faithful prophet, Jesus Christ. We pray this in the almighty name of our Savior. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Kathy, so much for reading that text for us this morning. Um, some of you may have not recognized that translation. We read from the New Living Translation this morning. Because I find that when we hear from a common passage or a passage we know well, it's it's kind of good to read from a different Translation to give it a fresh perspective. I really like that part where it said, My sin haunts me. Hosea is a book in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible up kind of in the middle, you may land yourself in in the Psalms, and then you go to the right a little bit, and you're going to read Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah. Lamentation. excuse me, I'm getting all out of order this morning, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea. And Hosea chapter 14, this is our final Sunday in Hosea, which is is bittersweet. I don't know about you, Hosea has been just very humbling to my own heart. I've had a couple of you come up to me after Sundays and saying, uh, yeah, we're going to need to take a break from, from this because you keep preaching to me every Sunday um, directly. And, and so uh, I, I can't promise you that, that Hebrews is going to be any better But um, in regards to that. But uh, Hebrews is just a very exciting, um, amazing book that uh, I have a great deep appreciation for because my time in seminary, a large portion of it was spent in the book of Hebrews as I... Um, Did my thesis on three Greek words in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10 29, Spirit of Grace. And uh, we've really, really grown to just love and appreciate God's book, Hebrews. But that is yet to come. This morning we're in Hosea chapter 14. I'm going to be doing a lot of the reading this morning and um, out of the book out of the New English Translation this morning, and if you've got your ESV or NIV or your NLT open in front of you, it's going to read just a little bit different. And I'm doing this intentionally because um, the gentleman who translated the book of Hosea had a really interesting perspective on specifically chapter 14, and I believe it's reflected in the translation that is given, and I believe it's very beneficial and helpful to us this morning. How many of y'all like taking road trips? Anybody like taking road trips? Okay, I see a few hands. Now, now how many of y'all still have, this is gonna be a little bit of a you know, technology test here, how many of y'all still have the maps? Now I'm not talking about the book of maps, I'm talking about the map that you would unfold and blind the driver with as it unfolds. <laughs> yes, a few people, you like those. You have to literally stop the car, get out, put it on the front of the hood, figure out where you're going and then get back in the car and write down a few directions and go. Okay, good, okay, good. we have some people that are like that. They like that. How many of you have the book of maps? <laughs> Okay, it sits in the side panel of the door, and you pull that out, and you open the book of maps, because technology is not to be trusted, right? So you've got the book of maps. Even though that map may be 10 years old, it's still good, right? It's to be trusted over the technology. Okay, I like that. I like the honesty. Now, how many of you are... The, 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 the current technology, either, how many of you all use GPS, not an iPhone or something like that, GPS, okay, GPS, got mom and dad got one of those in the RV, I greatly appreciate that thing, except for when it continues to tell me, turn right, turn right, turn right, turn, and you're like, I'm gonna, how do I shut that thing off, talked about distracted driving. And then there's the phones, right, the phones you put up in your window, you set on your dash, and how many of you are, your, yep, iMap users and all that good stuff, okay, Google users, oh, Google Maps, all that stuff, okay. Well, what's very interesting is, is I'm, I've kind of advanced a little bit with the technology there. My children have helped me, and, and so I've got a smartphone and I put it on Google Maps or something like that, um, and, and I start traveling down the road. What's very frustrating to me, and like in in Wenatchee is one of these spots. Google Maps has still not figured out, like if you're going to Costco from Wenatchee um, and, and you're gonna have to, or and it's like, you're on my way to Costco, but I've got to make a turn before you get to that stoplight that goes across the bridge. Well, that's all barricaded off, and your Google Maps will say, turn left now, turn left now, turn left now, turn left now, and you're like, shut up, right? <laughs> just, just shut up. I can't turn left. I'm going to violate the law, right? But you're thinking about it, right? I don't care if it's causing my damage to my car because this thing's going to finally shut up, Right? I want you to think of Hosea 14, 1 and 2 as that annoying voice of the Holy Spirit of God to the people of Israel. Turn around now. Turn around now. Listen to the words of the Lord. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For your sin has been your downfall. Return to the Lord, and repent. What was Israel's sin? They had forgotten their God. Not just passively, but they rejected the knowledge of God. They didn't just say, oh, generationally, we've just forgotten who God is. They actively say, we don't want to know God. They have stopped loving their God. God. They had loved Egypt. They have loved Assyria. They have loved false idols. They have loved other things, but they have stopped loving their God and they've been unfaithful to God. God had called Israel into obedience. God had called Israel to follow after him. God had called Israel to take care of God said Israel take care of one another take care of the widow take care of the orphan tend to the needs of your your people so that the other nations would see that God resides with you God is active in you but instead they ripped each other off and the rich got richer and the poor got poorer and they didn't tend to the needs of Israel their sin has gone up before the Lord And at this point, this chapter of 14 is so beautiful is that God has sent Hosea and Hosea has preached this word of prophecy to the people. This is what you're guilty of. This is what you're guilty of Israel. This is what is coming to you. But I love how Hosea does not end with the nuke button. Hosea ends with this plea of God return. The idea of, and the Greek understanding of this word for repentment, now, is this idea of turning around. It's, It's not just, oh, I'm sorry, God, but it's leaving behind what you're doing and turning around and pursuing where God is going. God is pleading with Israel here saying, repent, confess your sin and turn and follow me. It's not too late. I love that about our God. Because the list of sin, the list of things that Israel had done wrong is egregious and it's long and it's ugly. And God is standing there saying, just repent and turn from your sin. Not only does he do that, but he goes on and he calls them to this this, this plea to repent. And he says to them, pray this Prayer. Verse two part B it says, say to him, completely forgive our iniquity. The people of Israel are to cry out to their God and say completely forgive our iniquity. Accept our penitential prayer. Basically, your translation may say good. But it's this idea that their prayer is not just a flippant prayer of uh, God, I I guess I've messed up. But it's this heart-rendering prayer, Lord, we have been in sin, we are in sin, that we may offer the praise of our lips as sacrificial bulls. God does not desire these people to enter back into religiosity. God doesn't want to see them to go gather up a bunch of bulls and lambs and sacrifice them on the altar and say, look how, pe- look how sorry we are, God. We're killing all these animals. God wants to see their hearts broken before him so that they can offer up praise from their mouth and praise that is not condemning them. But rather praise that demonstrates that their hearts are broken and that they're truly repentant for the things that they have done against their God. Second Corinthians seven, nine and 10 says, "Yet not yet now I am happy, not because you were made you were made for, sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance." For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings about repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in response to situations that were going on in 1 Corinthians and, and Paul is saying, man, I am so grateful that you heard my words and this Holy Spirit convicted your hearts and you repented. You were broken over your sin. You were just devastated over your sin. And because of your devastation over your sin, you repented and you turned from them and began to pursue God. I had Kathy intentionally read Psalm 51 this morning. Psalm 51, if you don't know the backstory to it, is falls right after the great sin of David with Bathsheba. David sinned and that he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was a king. He was supposed to be with his soldiers in the battlefield, but felt he didn't need to do that anymore. So he sinned in the fact that he wasn't where he was supposed to be with his troops. He then sinned by looking upon Bathsheba and lusting after her. He then sinned by letting his lust lead now into taking her into his bedroom and sleeping with her. Him being married, she being married. He then sinned even further when he heard that she was pregnant from their, their adulterous affair by bringing Uriah in and trying to make Uriah sin against what God had placed upon Uriah. You notice Uriah's heart in that moment? Uriah is like, I'm supposed to be with my men. Uriah is an exact like contrast to what David was supposed to have been. Here is here's this Uriah the that- Hittite, don't miss that. And we could go into that later. But Uriah the Hittite was, was acting rightly as David, God's king, was not. Well, since Uriah wouldn't sleep with his, his, his wife, God sent him to the back to the battle, thus commands his generals to have Uriah push forward in the battle, have them all push forward, and then draw back and leave Uriah there. And Uriah was killed upon the battlefield by David's command. Now David is murdered. The prophet Nathan pays David a visit. And up to this point, David had not confessed nor repented of his sins. He thought he was Scot Clean. Nathan shares this story with David that there was this traveler that came to a rich man's home and hospitality of that day demanded you know, that, that, that an animal be killed and fed to the traveler but it, instead of the rich man killing one of his own sheep for the traveler, he goes to the poor man's house and he steals from the poor man and kills the poor man's sheep that the sheep had lived in their home and the sheep had, was it not just a, an animal but their, their personal pet, this, this close association with this animal and he steals this animal and he slaughters it for this traveler. And David rises up in anger and says, tell me who this rich man is and I'll take care of him. And Nathan turns to David and says... David, you're that man. And David, in his brokenness, writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is beautiful, it correctly shows what our heart should be in regards to sin. David doesn't once justify himself and say, well, I did this because David is broken over his sin. David is pleading with restoration from God. Please don't remove your spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. But you know what's beautiful about this? As David says, you restore me from this, God, I will lead others in restoration. That my restoration, my sin, my brokenness won't be just for my benefit, but for the benefit of your people, oh God. Because I will lead others in this restoration process because you have forgiven me. James 5:16 says, "Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working." This is terrifying for some of us, but I, those of you who are with us here on Good Friday night witnessed and heard brothers and sisters in a circle confessing their sins to one another. It was beautiful. And it wasn't done in such a way that, that the sin was glorified. But it was done in such a way that people, broken and contrite hearts were, were seeking God to forgive them and also their brothers and sisters to come around them. And I will, yeah, we'll deal with this one later. But there's something beautiful that took place that night and in, in the people that spoke up. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks and I'll save it for then. Hosea 6.6 6 says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge God and not burn offerings. Like I said earlier, God wasn't wanting them to line up the sacrifices. He wanted the people to hit their knees, to bow face down before their God and say, God, we have sinned and that it's egregious and it's ugly and there was no justification for it. That's the heart of repentance. You know, when we get up here and we sing these songs and when we, we're all gathered together and we got smiles on our faces and maybe we're lifting our hands and may, maybe we're swaying to the music. I think I found a spot in the floor over here that needs to be nailed down. But as we're doing these things this morning, we, those things are great. Only if our heart is broken before God and this desperation for God. God, we have gathered together to proclaim our absolute need for you. We have gathered together to confess our sin to you. We have gathered together to glorify your name. That is the attitude of our hearts. But if we can sit here and raise hands, we can play play the most, God, I need you, right? We can say those words. But if our heart isn't broken before God, they're a ball of trash and dung and garbage and worthless just like a confession that where the somebody's heart isn't broken before god you can sit there and say i'm sorry for this sin but if our heart isn't broken before god god doesn't want to hear it Because he, what he wants from his people here isn't just a flippant, hey, God, you know, we messed up back there. No, he's wanting a people filled with tears in their eyes and on their knees before God, broken before him. And that's what he wants from us. He wants us to have hearts that are broken before him so that we can worship and glorify him with pure hearts and holy hands. Lifted before him. He goes on to say in this prayer, say, so they're supposed to say these things to God. Assyria can't save us, verse three. We will not ride war horses. They're to say that the hope they had placed in other nations was false. They're to begin to identify Where they had rejected the knowledge of God, where they have stopped loving God, where they were unfaithful to God, and they were to bring these things before God. Brothers and sisters, our repentance and our confession before God needs to be specific. We need to say it, we need to speak it before God. And if you really wanna get in the nitty gritty of it when you're with your brothers and sisters and your small group, your life group settings, those people that walk with you in life is to speak before them, I am guilty of this. I have sinned against God with this. God wants them to to acknowledge the things of God and say, God, we look to Assyria for our hope. But we're not gonna mount up on war horses and ride with them. Because that will only bring further devastation. God was wanting them. When was the last time that you got together with your life groups, with your friends, with your Christian brothers and sisters? And said, I have been hoping in this. I have been looking for salvation in this. And it has not been in God. And we've just confessed that to one another. God delights in our brokenness because He alone can heal our hearts. In Isaiah, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. That healing that is talking about this is a spiritual healing. Brothers and sisters, when we confess of our spiritual brokenness, God will heal us through Jesus Christ. But he came for the sick. He came for the broken. And if we're not sick, and if we're not broken, he didn't come for you. I want you to hear that. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, my sin really isn't that bad. The things that I've hoped in aren't really that bad. Like, I'm, you know, today is senior day. I'm so excited. We got Clarissa and, and, and we got our, our beautiful, my mind is throwing a blank right now and it's terrible. Cla- not Clarissa, Cassie and Kaylee. and Kaylee. Thank you. I do this every once So Cassie and Kaylee are gonna come up today and they're gonna share with us. But if Cassie and Kaylee, if their hope is in escaping from Kathy's household, right? Your hope's in the wrong place, girls, okay? I oh, know, they're saying, no, no. Kathy's like, I'm free! No, it's just... <laughs> if Kathy's hope is like, they're going to graduate, I'm going to have this all, all this time, right? That, her hope's in the wrong place right? If we think in our promotion, this, this promotion, this job is our hope and life will be grand and that when I just get that or when I just get this car or when I just get this raise or when I just get this retirement fund to come through or when I just get this friend or when I just get this relationship, if we're hoping in external things to bring us salvation and to, to change our lives, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. That's sin, And we start trying to take care of ourselves instead of leaning. We need to confess that to God, and we need to confess that to our brothers and sisters. Say, I've been hoping in this, and that's not hoping in God. He wants them to confess. Job's twelve twenty three. Job in twelve twenty three. It says he makes nations great and he destroys them. Talking about God, he enlarges nations and he leads them away. Who's in charge of kings and who's in charge of politicians? If you're looking to the next year's election for your hope, like. Next year, things are going to get better. Wrong answer. It's just the next sorry sinner's going to step up. Right? There's only one who is good, and there's only one. And God causes nations to rise up and nations to fall. Daniel 2.21, he changes times. It's just, It's not political entities. He changes times and seasons. March's snow was not because El Niño, Niño, whatever. It's because God said it's going to snow more in March. <laughs> and that's what you need, whether you like it or not. It Romans 13, 1. He, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Uh-oh. Brothers and sisters, Our hope isn't in nations. Our hope it isn't in knowledge and wisdom apart from God. He goes on to say, "Pray this as well. We will never again say our gods to what we have own what to what our own hands have made." If you're going to take one line in, in the book of Hosea away, it still is like puts a smirk on my face but breaks my heart at the same time. It's that idea of them turning to a stick and saying what do I do? (laughs) Come on. Talk to me. Or, Or maybe Facebook. Who am I? No, no. Tell me who I am. What's my identity? No, tell me. The things that man has made give us spiritual direction and tell us who we are. Confess it. Confess it. They don't tell us, they don't give us spiritual insight and direction. We don't turn to the spiritually dead and say, inform me what spiritual life looks like. We turn to the book that's filled with life. We turn to the spirit, the giver of life. We said it in the creed, didn't we? (coughs) Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God has called us to be in relationship with him. To love him and to love him alone. And that everything else he's given us is... It's supposed to be used in worship and glorifying of Him. But if any of the things that we have been given, or if any things that we have created turn our hearts away from worshiping and glorifying the one true God, then we do away with those things. We get rid of them. I mean, if you're in here this morning and, and maybe it's your job, and maybe it's it's your identity as a father, as a mother, it, 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 maybe there's a lot of things that can draw our love and affection away from God this morning. Maybe there's a lot of things that we need to be repenting of this morning and, and giving before God saying, you know, and I really enjoy being a dad, but being a dad is not my identity. Child of God is my identity. Dad is a role that I've been given to glorify God with. Goes on to say, for you, only you will show compassion to your orphan Israel. I love that. God wants his people to understand that apart from him, they have no spiritual identity. They're without family. There's a great book I'm reading right now, um, Among Wolves, and it's, it's a great book and it's, it's arguing that, I think I may have even mentioned this, that a sociologist in this argues that by 2030, for the first time in the history of the world, more people will be living in cities than outside of cities. The urbanization of the world is taking place as we speak. He argues, though, in this book, though, that church and that family is not a metaphor for church. Church is family. Family. Why is this so significant and important for us to understand? Because God is Father. And God takes a people that weren't a people and He calls them His own. And through His Son, Jesus Christ, He redeems this group so that they can now be called His children. It's not a metaphor, it's an identity. We are his children and therefore if we're God's children and he is our father, it makes us family. And if you want your mind blown, you know who our brother is? Jesus Christ. Co-heirs. It hurts even saying it because I don't deserve it. But scripture says I'm co-heirs with Christ. So church is family. So I I'm next week, when we say the creed, there's going to be a change. We believe in the worldwide family of Jesus Christ. I want you to get it. I want all of us to get it, that we're family. And family's messy. When it says here, he wants them to say, you show compassion to orphan Israel. He wants them to say, listen apart from being forgiven in you, apart from life in you, we are orphans. We are without family. Amen. We're without, without relationship with God. Therefore, confess your sin. Be in family with God. Desire that relationship, O oh Israel. You don't want to be orphans. You want to be family. Amen. We pray our prayers of repentance in such a way that demonstrates that our hope alone is in God alone. We pray our prayers in such a way that we want to repent so that we can enter into loving God the way he made us to love him. We pray our prayers to show that, Lord, if I am not with you, I am completely separate from you and I am identity-less. And I have no hope. My hope is found in being part of the family of God. Psalm 68, 5, Father, this is what David says of God. He's the father of the fatherless. He is a protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Deuteronomy 10, 18, he ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. Ezekiel thirty four sixteen. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy and I will feed them in justice. God is saying here, it is in my business to gather up those that are broken, downtrodden without family and give them identity as family in me. That's what was so egregious about Israel's sins and the way they were taking care of the orphan and the widow because God had taken a group of people that were orphans and widows and brought them in and made them family with the expectation is, is you're going to respond to what I did to you by you doing so in turn to one another. Like, if we really believe that we were once without family, we were once out identity we were once far away we were once not a people but now have been made a people through jesus christ in god that guess what we should now want to see other people brought into this family of god and that within the family of god that we care for one another's needs and so i want to something i meant to do last week that i really want to do here today if you have need this is our family I really would love to lean and become more and more like the Acts 2 church where it says they were having all things in common and they were giving and they were providing for each other's needs in such a manner that no one was without. Let me tell you what, if if you're having a hard time taking care of your finances, you're having a hard time spiritually, if you're, if you're in need, we want to know about your needs and we want to come together as a body of believers and care for one another's needs. We want to be family. That's part of what this being family looks like. Luke five thirty one and 32, and Jesus answered them, to those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is a beautiful prayer. From 2B on to through 3, that God gives Israel to pray, and it's a great blueprint for us to be repentant before God. And this is such a beautiful picture. I talked to Christia this morning about using this word, and, and, and it frightened her. And so I need to give you a reason why I want to use this word. This is a shocking word. But it's a word that's used, been used by the world in, in ugliness and in, in depravity and brokenness. But it's one of those words that I think was... a was meant to be beautiful, intoxicating. As we look at these next four verses, verses four through eight, I want you to hear this. This is what awaits God's people that are broken. And I want you to think of this word. This is erotic. And not some six perverse sense But this intoxicating, life-changing, breathe it in. You know, I was reading this book that talks about one of the reasons that we have perverted these wonderful desires that God has given us because we have lost the sensuality of life. We've lost the ability to walk outside and feel the breeze on our face. We've lost the, the ability to, to smell the flowers, the roses, the beautiful things that God has given us to smell and to enjoy, to, to enjoy the coolness of water. We have to have all of our needs met by soak that we have lost the ability to just be in God's creation and feel that wonderful sensualness of God just washing over us in such a way that is refreshing, redeeming, wonderfully, and pure. He says, I will heal the waywardness and leave them freely. For my anger will turn away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. I will blossom the lily. He will send down his roots like a cedar of Lebanon. His young shoots will grow his splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will reside again in his shade, and they will plant and harvest in grain and grain in an abundance, and they will blossom like a vine, and his fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. O oh, Ephraim, I do not want you to have anything to do with idols anymore. I will answer him and care for him. I am like a luxuriant cypress tree. Your fruitfulness come from me. Listen to that. That is what awaits the heart of David after his repentance. That's what awaits the heart of Israel if they'll just confess their sin and their iniquity for what it is. And turn to God is this beautiful picture of like, I'm going to make things blossom and grow in Israel once again. And the unfruitfulness, the darkness of their hearts will be destroyed. And I'll till that soil and I'll make things grow in there again. And there'll be love for one another. There'll be compassion in Israel. There'll be worship of the one true God Altars will be once again lit with rightly appointed sacrifices. Festivals will take place where there's wine and there's drinking and there's dancing and it's all pure and holy before God as people will once again worship God again. This is what I await to give you, Israel. This is what I wait to give you, church. When you repent, the luxuriant, sensual, beautiful, intoxicating work of the Holy Spirit in you. I'm gonna give you life. And right now, some of you are still holding on to what the Bible says is sin. And you're somehow clinging to it that it's going to give you those things. God is saying, no, it'll lead to more devastation and destruction. Confess, repent, and turn, and this is, this is what I have for you. Fruitfulness, joy, hope, peace. Not as the world gives it, Jesus says. This is what waits. This is what waits us when we turn from our sin. And, and the last <laughs> verse I'm, I'm sorry, I'm off on of my slides again. Here we go again. But no, it's like the last verse of this text is so beautiful. It's like, hey, you know that, that, that Verizon, not Verizon anymore, right? He's gone, got new one over to Sprint, I think now, but he used to say, do you hear me now? Um, or now I think he says, do you still, or I don't know, whatever he's saying. But like, God is literally gonna say, do you hear me now? Like, like, I have now threatened you with an inch of your life. I have told you you're headed for judgment and I have now promised you that this is wedding if you return. Do you hear me now? He says here, And verse 9, who is wise? Let him discern these things. Who is discerning? Let him understand them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the godly walk in them, but but in them the rebellious stumble. So my question to you this morning is there seems to be two categories going on here. There's the godly, the wise that are gonna enjoy this incredible, fruitful, abundant life in God. And I'm not... I'm not. Preaching health, welfare, and prosperity. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say it's without suffering. But even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, it's going to be beauty. It's going to be peace and hope and joy. It's going to be those those lilies of the field blossoming as God causes things to blossom in your life that never would have blossomed before had you not gone through those hard things. But it'll be good and it'll be right, and it'll be holy, it'll be pure, it'll be so enjoyable. Or are you gonna fall in the category of the rebellious? And I've heard rebellious people proclaim, like, I'm at peace with God? My relationship's good with God? But I see you continuing in sin. I, I see you not confessing your sin. At what you're living is a lie. You're proclaiming your own self righteousness. You're proclaiming your own peace. And, and I see you continuing to run in directions and you're going to repeat the same sinful behavior that you just did if you keep heading down that path. Well, the great news is God's going to cause you to return. The great news is that when God's got you and you're His, He's going to pull you back. The bad news is it's going to be really, really painful. But God will call his own back. Or you can confess and repent and say, I have thought this was good, I have thought this was right, and I was wrong. And you can go to being wise and godly. Bow your knee before the eternal God and say, God, I have been in sin, and I am broken before you. And in my brokenness, I want to walk with you and I want to obey you and I want to see what you have for me. I want this luxuriant life, this hope in you. Are we wise? Are we rebellious? Do we get it? Do we get it? That's what the Hosea comes down to. That last verse, isn't that crazy? Like all this, like, like boils down to this. It's like, do you get it? And we know what happens to Israel. They don't get it. Assyria invades, they're carried off into captivity. It's part of, the beginning of what's called the diaspora in the history of Israel. It is something that Israel has yet to fully recover from. May we not be like that. May we as leaders of God's church be confessional and repentant and seek God's wisdom and his counsel and his glory and his goodness for God's church. And may we as individuals within this body of believers repentant of our sin, broken hearted over it like David and experience what God said I will answer him and care for him I I am like a luxuriant cypress tree and your fruitfulness comes from me Father God, thank you. I thank you. This is where you leave us in the book of Hosea. What, a, what an amazing book. You leave us at this point in this place of turn. Turn from your sin. Listen to the Holy Spirit's working in your life and turn and be obedient. And I will restore you, you say to us. I can make your life luxuriant and fruitful once again. And the most satisfying soul, satisfying heart, satisfying of ways. For you are the Creator God who made us, who shaped us, who formed us to have this abundant life in you. You alone know what's best for us. And Lord, we're going to struggle to live this. Today may be a good day. Tomorrow may be a really rough one where we're going to have to close our eyes and bend our knees before you once again and repent and confess but may we do so not in reluctance or in this, this fear that you're going to somehow destroy us, but rather your promise is that you desire to not destroy us, but to restore us. Yes. To redeem us. To take our story that we have made and made it a redeemed story in your story it's a greater story. The story of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came to make us new in Him. Thank you, Lord. We are excited to discover what it looks like to live this. Holy Spirit. Let us not forget these words. Bring us back to this place over and over and over again in our, in our lives and journey with you. <clears throat> May this church family be known as a family of brokenness over sin and repentant hearts and a desire to be fruitful in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.